0: Welcome to the Arete podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and today's guest is Jodie Schmidt, CEO at TAFE Queensland. It's wonderful to have you along today and I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation with Jodie. I found her story fascinating and she is somebody who's achieved some very significant things at a relatively young age in her career and certainly the education sector is undergoing massive disruption and change. And it was fascinating to have a chat to her about her views on what's going on in the sector, both within Australia and globally. Before I get on and introduce Jodi to you, let me briefly introduce myself. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive, and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. We also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy services for senior executives and non-executive directors who are actively looking for a new role. So if we can help you in relation to executive recruitment requirements within your business or alternatively in relation to your own career, feel free to give me a call or reach out via our website or LinkedIn. Let me now introduce to you Jody Schmidt. Jodie Schmidt was born in regional Queensland and completed a Bachelor of Business at the University of Southern Queensland in Toowoomba. After working for some time in Brisbane City Council, she travelled to the UK where she worked for a number of years before returning to Brisbane and returning to the education sector, initially with Southbank Institute of Technology, then moving into a role within government and now in her most recent role as CEO of TAFE Queensland. Jodie lives in Brisbane and I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation so sit back and here is Jodie Schmidt. Jodie welcome to the Arate podcast it's uh, lovely to have you along here and I, I think the very first day of winter in Brisbane and I, I don't know about you it doesn't seem very cold to me.
1: I don't know it's starting to uh, lower in temperature so it's a uh... A nice time of year if you ask me and thank you for the welcome.
0: It's a pleasure and uh, so for the people who are listening in, uh, perhaps just to start give us a quick uh, overview of your professional responsibilities at the moment.
1: So I'm the CEO of TAFE Queensland. TAFE Queensland uh, is now a statutory body separated from government. Historically people might know TAFE Queensland as uh, part of the Department of Education and Training in 2013. Uh, It was established as its own body and body corporate in that way. Uh, And and also historically TAFE institutes have um, been semi-autonomous from each other uh, and there have been varying numbers of them. Uh, The 2013 change saw 13 institutes come together into one body corporate. and, And as the CEO I have responsible for all operations of TAFE campuses across Queensland which is quite extensive.
0: Sure and so what were some of the drivers that led to that decision in 2013?
1: So a debate in the education sector and particularly in vocational education and training has been around how you improve both participation of individuals in terms of skills development across the country Mm -hmm. uh, and improve the efficiency and effectiveness of that and like many commodities or services, that debate comes down to introducing contestability and competition in market. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there has been over uh, many, well, a couple of decades to some extent, uh, the emerging private sector training, Mm -hmm.
2: uh,
1: uh, registered training Mm organisations. And the policy change saw uh, the introduction of a different way for government to fund training uh, and the way in which... uh, registered training organisations compete in market for that government subsidised training mm-hmm. so in essence you've seen significant change in a sector uh, and a market based approach to drive demand
0: okay and to give uh, a sense of the scope how many campuses employees students etc
1: well of course we operate from 56 campuses that we own and control uh, but of course we deliver in workplaces all the way over okay. the, all the way across the state Uh, four and a half thousand staff which fluctuates with greater demand Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know turnover of nearly 700 million dollars a year Mm -hmm. so we're a big business
0: sure and uh we were talking before we started uh recording about you know some of the changes in technology and uh other things that are going to affect the education sector in general but it, it sounds to me as if um the greater emergence of uh private rtos is having a a big uh, impact in terms of how you're perceiving the way to compete in the market etc.
1: That's absolutely true technology is an enabler to education like every industry the way in which technology will disrupt and change the way in which services are delivered is key to our offering mm-hmm. what's also key to our offering is how we ensure that practical skills transfer from individual to individual or they're built to, to really power the economy and mm-hmm. the discussion I'd like to have or, or I try to drive uh, these type of discussions to is how skills development really makes economic difference mm-hmm. and, and is a real enabler to uh, greater levels of employment and greater levels of economic prosperity for Australians.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, no doubt we'll come back and talk around that uh, a little later. But uh, just to get the ball rolling in terms of your own professional background, I'm interested in going back to where it all began and telling us about you know where you were born and what your early life was like, uh, etc. That would be great. All right.
1: So uh, I was born in Maryborough Queensland. Okay. Uh, I think Miraburra classes itself as a city, but I often call it a small country town. Right. Uh, It's not country rural, but obviously it's Mm -hmm. uh, regional Queensland. Uh, I was the daughter of a jeweller and a school teacher. Okay. From small business, I guess, like Uh many people in Queensland.
0: Brothers and sisters.
1: I have one brother. Okay. uh, One brother just younger than me. Right. He's now a policeman, still in the region in Bundaberg. Okay. My parents are still in Miraburra. I had a great childhood growing up in regional Queensland, uh, obviously schooling, but uh, filled with a lot of activities and sport, mm-hmm. and I guess I would credit the development of me as an individual to both team and individual-based sport uh-huh. that develops certain sets of skills uh, and experiences that I think hold you in good stead, Sure. Uh, and is important to... Development as as an individual. Okay. What Uh, was certainly I would say that.
0: Right. What were your sports of choice? Uh,
1: I did a lot of things, but uh, I was uh, at a young age uh, uh, seen to be quite a good tennis player. I spent a lot of time on junior tennis circuits. Okay. uh, Through to my mid-teens, and my family played a lot of squash. Squash was popular at the time, so I transitioned to squash. As I became a teenager and, mm-hmm. and had some success in representative right. uh, squash, both at a state level and, and nationally, which was a great experience.
0: Right, I had uh, Ian Clug, the chairman of Brisbane Marketing, on as a guest a while ago, and. Uh, He, in his youth, was a very accomplished uh, squash player. And we were talking about how you just don't see squash courts anymore, Mm -hmm. they used to be everywhere. Squash
1: squash courts are now gymnasiums full of treadmills.
0: That's right, or uh, been redeveloped into uh, units. uh, That's right. (laughs) Okay, and so, um, uh, what about school? Were you an academic person? uh,
1: Uh, I guess I had um, a certain level of ability in mm -hmm. scholastic endeavors. Uh, I was probably seen to be a little bit disruptive and okay. a bit of a talker. Oh, really? So you know, it was a not a bad experience. I did achieve prefecture at uh, my high school, but it was probably after they said to me, "But you need to start to um, <laughs> perhaps model the behaviours of prefecture in that uh-huh. regard." Uh-huh. But that was mostly because I guess uh, you know we were having a good time. When we were kids.
0: Sure. That's good. And so, um, uh, while you were at school, did you uh, have any sort of uh, part-time jobs or anything like that?
1: I, I not not at school. Uh, my sporting uh, activities took up most of my spare time. Okay. Uh, traveling each weekend and. Uh, sometimes during the week so I didn't get to to do part-time work really until I started university. Right,
0: so you went straight from school to um, USQ? I, I did. Right, Bachelor of Business?
1: Bachelor of Business, okay. double majors in Marketing and Accounting.
0: Uh-huh. And what attracted you uh, to that initially? I
1: mean, in truth that was from a school counsellor discussion I didn't really know what I wanted to do and, right. uh, and it was the first evolution we see it all the time today and mm-hmm. of course I work in an organisation that talks this language all the time, but dual qualifications were new then in mm-hmm.
2: the
1: mid ooh, early 90s. Sure. Uh, and so uh, it gave me a broad spectrum: accounting and marketing. Definitely. Uh, some of my lecturers thought were diametrically opposed. I think they were quite complementary.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. And so uh, uh, you studied full time. Full time. Okay.
1: Residential life. Right. On university campus.
0: Okay. Suffice to so, had a good time. So USQ in Toowoomba? Yeah. Right, okay. And how um, did you uh, uh, find the move from Miraburra to uh, Toowoomba?
1: Obviously from Miraburra to Toowoomba, that's a big town move really right. to some extent. Right, sure. Uh, it, it was uh, good. Okay. I, I thought Toowoomba was a nice place to live. Sure. It had a good vibe about it and I had a great set of people and, and that experience that people talk about, I remember very clearly sitting in the refectory which seemed quite significant at the time people talking about the experience that you'd have over these three years and what it would mean to you yeah i wasn't quite sure what that would mean in the early weeks of first year um but it really does create uh a basis for the next steps that come thereafter okay
0: and uh, you said that you worked uh, some part-time jobs at the time. Mm-hmm. What, what was uh, some of the more interesting ones?
1: Uh, uh, night sorting at Australia Post, okay. uh, the parcels. You right. Know, two tons of part of uh, extraordinary items they used to call <laughs> them, uh, starting one a.m. finishing eight a.m. Okay. I uh, had some interesting uh, experiences around what happens in the parcel sorting. Sure. Uh, room.
0: Okay. And then, uh, and then, what happened from there? You finished your degree, and uh, where where did you move out to then?
1: You know, interestingly enough, uh, in 1995, when I finished, uh, there was a flooded market of accountants. Okay. And and whilst I'd studied marketing and accounting, uh, it was really an accounting bent that I had. Right. And I interviewed with some of the firms, and it was a very competitive market. uh, And you know, to be self-supporting yourself in Uh, a capital city I was trying to be in Brisbane the starting salary at that time Mm -hmm. 18,000 long road to hoe supporting Mm -hmm. yourself uh, made me pause right uh, at the same time unfortunately my parents had a setback in that as a small town family jewelry shop we had a professional hit uh, and I went home
0: a hit you mean a a, a robbery. Professional robbery. So right. Okay. And you
1: wake up in the morning and you attend your family store and my father finds there's no jewelry, like literally none. Right. Left, uh, that has an impact on on your future. Sure. Uh, so we had some family time and at that time I went and uh, I was doing two things. I guess it was probably my gap year. Okay. I ran the pizza. I was a manager at the Pizza Hut for a period of time. Right. Um, and that was a great experience and then I did a fruit season her okay. and Mundubra picking and packing citrus.
0: Right okay and just uh, in relation to the robbery were they insured or, um, or not?
1: Interesting tale. Uh, insurance yes, uh, procured through a broker. Mm-hmm. When it came to the crunch the broker was found to be negligent and oh. it would have been a long legal battle to right. recover anything so in essence that they theft lost. was lost.
0: Far out. Yeah, Yeah, I can imagine that that would have been uh, devastating.
1: I guess you learn some things about life when you have a loss of that nature uh, and the resilience of uh, good people Mm -hmm. in terms of recovering from Mm -hmm.
0: that. So did they rebuild their jewellery business?
1: Rebuild the business. Uh, My parents are right now considering retirement uh, in their mid to late 60s.
0: Okay, okay, there you go. Okay, and so um you uh, uh ran the pizza shop, did some uh fruit picking etc and it was it at that time you joined Brisbane City Council.
1: I decided it was time to move. I uh, I'd been home 18 months. Right. Uh some friends were living in Brisbane. Uh I'd spent a fair amount of time it was still a, a a time where it was difficult to get into the employment market. It was mm-hmm. a bit of a do you have experience? No. How do you get experience? Uh, mm-hmm. Scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just decided to move, move down and pound the pavement in a different way. Yeah. And uh, there was a great amount of uh, temp work available. It was okay. probably, again, burgeoning temporary uh, employment market. Sure. Uh, and uh, I began at Brisbane mm-hmm. City Council, right. regulated parking. Okay.
0: And so what did uh, that entail?
1: That entailed uh, typing addresses on summons for overdue parking fines.
0: Okay, so you've definitely, uh, you know, done your time in terms of some of the more uh, menial roles to uh, create credibility for the future.
1: To uh, type addresses day in and day out, see how many hundreds you can do in a day for eight hours is certainly a test of something.
0: (laughs) And uh, were you doing that as part of a team?
1: Part of a team doing right. the same thing. Yeah. Okay, um,
0: so you were competing against each other. Who could did type you do the that? Most? But
1: you'd mark time between uh, breaks. So yes.
0: Okay, right. Okay, all right. So uh, and uh, but you were there with Brisbane City Council for some time. So how quickly was it before you moved into a, you know more uh, professional roles?
1: Uh, it was probably months uh, okay. in reality. So right. I, I moved from a number of different temporary roles uh, in okay. 1997, though. Uh, Brisbane City Council was going through perhaps its first uh, business process reengineering BPR okay. was a buzzword at the time. Yeah, uh, Rob Carter was the then CEO, and you saw significant uh, attention on improving efficiency. Okay, and uh, in essence, that looked at restructure and realignment under the Purchaser-Provider model, okay. terms that we uh, are probably in the past now. Right. But that was large reorganisation of a large organisation and a really uh, fertile ground for learning about organisational dynamics and mm-hmm. the way in which large organisations work. And mm-hmm. For me, Brisbane City Council was a huge learning experience in an environment where access to those type of things mm. uh, seemed to be quite easy.
0: Access to learning opportunities. Yeah,
1: so well, learning opportunities if you are just observing what's sure. happening and okay. engaging with yeah. different people of differing levels mm-hmm. across a large organisation, 8,000 staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked in the marketing area mm-hmm. uh, and started in a business office manager role mm-hmm. that moved into a, a manager of finance and operations role that moved into, uh, I guess, a 2IC to the marketing manager and got good exposure to both. Uh, The administrative side of the organisation at all levels and the political side uh, where the Westminster system sees the administration of any government Mm -hmm. bureaucracy engage with the political arm and... Mm -hmm. uh, All the intricacies of that.
0: Mm. And I mean people would in general have a a view as to what life is like working within a council Uh, particularly you know uh, Brisbane City Council being at least in Queensland you know quite a large uh, entity what was your sort of um, experience in terms of working within that kind of a culture?
1: Yeah so a lot of learnings I would say great in that for an organization brisbane city council i think the third largest municipal authority in the in the world okay Uh, it's large many other models are smaller models uh, how how would they measure that
0: based on Geographic. Uh,
1: it's based on both turnover and uh, staffing and geographical coverage. Right, I third in the
0: world. That's third uh, in the world. Interesting. And okay. the
1: largest in the Southern Hemisphere. Well, certainly they were the numbers. Okay. Uh, at that time, I don't expect that that's changed. Okay. Uh, that organisation to understand the multiple service lines that are delivered by a council and I don't know unless you've been within it the complexity of that organisation and what drives its service levels and its standards Mm -hmm. uh, and the effort that goes into really making a difference to what happens and what makes particularly this city but uh, any city tick and it's a good learning experience from the mowing of the parks to mm-hmm. uh, the providing of uh, programs for community development for uh, a variety of things mm-hmm. whether it be youth or unemployed or other things and the role that is taken in a complementary way with both business and then state and other governments uh, in order to create the catchphrase of Brisbane City Council the sure. livable city yeah
0: and so what uh transpired 2001 2002 feudal exit Uh,
1: I was uh, reaching my uh, mid-20s nearly okay Uh, and in truth you know I was starting to develop I guess in terms of uh, my uh, managerial career uh, and starting to have mentors in that space and I was really lucky to meet with to to work for uh, and associate with some really dynamic people Mm -hmm. and in doing so people would say look you seem to have some potential Uh, And you probably need to get out.
0: Okay. And
1: when they said get out, they meant, uh, how about you go overseas, get some greater experience, some outside-the-box experience. Right. And some would say lose a bit of country.
0: Yeah, I remember when I caught up with you, I, you said, I can't ex- remember your exact expression, but basically bashed the bush out of you. Yeah, a
3: little Yeah, bit. right,
0: okay. And so uh, that was when you um, uh, went to the UK, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And uh, tell us about uh, your UK experience.
1: Well, uh, The things that I remember, I guess, I, uh, was, you know, in my mid-twenties, so I didn't have much, but I sold everything that I owned, right. liquidated, yeah, uh, and set off uh, working holiday maker visa. Arrived in London. Uh, I remember the dollar being worth 33 cents, so it was three pounds to the Australian dollar. And right. the first week I thought, I'll be home by next month. Right. Uh, again, you know, recognizing that you're starting from scratch in a place mm-hmm. where you have no credibility, mm-hmm. not necessarily networks,
0: and did you have friends or family there?
1: I didn't have friends or, or direct friends or family, right. but I had some connections okay. that I guess I could start sure. start to talk to in terms of trying to figure out what yep. I would do from there. Right. Uh, and it was a good experience. Again, entering the employment market took some pounding of the pavement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that started, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks in.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Trying to get was just post uh Post 9-11, mm-hmm. trying to get uh, accommodation, bank accounts, became quite difficulty given increased privacy mm-hmm. and concerns around security, mm-hmm. I guess, in my uh, adult life for the first time in a really uh, very clear way. So mm-hmm. it was an interesting time. Okay.
0: And what did you end up uh, doing work-wise?
1: I did a number of different things, uh, short-term contract work. Uh, I was a cost accountant at the Oils and Pipeline Agency for okay. the Ministry of Defence. Right. Reconciling the account between the US and the UK governments was That's interesting. Some data mining, um, right. firm, uh, some working in uh, accounting roles in terms of uh, some engineering and architectural firms. Okay. Mostly I walked the streets of downtown Greater London and, and thought this is a fantastic place to be.
0: Right, so basically bits and bobs, no uh, significant you know, uh, career-defining role while you were there.
1: Uh, for the first couple of months, yeah. Right. Uh, and then I was asked whether I would work at a, a start-up, which was a special health authority. Uh, at a very interesting part in London, Elephant and Castle. I went for an interview and it was a place called the National Treatment Agency and I guess I didn't really understand until okay. I got there. Uh, and I found out it was a special health authority which mm. is a Quango, a quasi non-government organization set up as part of the UK Drug Strategy okay. uh, to address uh, the impact that drug use has uh, on of course the community Mm -hmm. and this body was focused on the treatment arm which is uh, to address substance misuse Mm -hmm. with some very clear targets Uh, get 100,000 people in treatment, reduce waiting times from 52 weeks to 2 weeks Mm -hmm. in order to uh, access treatment triple the workforce needed there was 3,000 drug practitioners in the country needed to be 9,000 in Mm -hmm. order to service that and to reduce the cost on uh, the criminal justice system from mm-hmm. what is called Class A drug use right? Uh, in the UK. Okay. And so uh, an organisation put, uh, put together and established specifically to focus on those strategies was a very interesting thing mm. and I joined there and spent the next uh, three and a half years with the National Treatment Agency. Mm-hmm.
0: And so were you joining prior to or at the time of those new initiatives or Uh, midway on that journey? I
1: think there was 15 to 20 staff when I joined uh, in a role as the office slash business manager. The task was to set up 10 Mm -hmm. offices across the state. We had one co-location in uh, the Elephant Castle in London, Mm -hmm. set them up, create the infrastructure, create and drive strategy, and uh, really make a contribution to the structure of that Mm organisation. So it was like... In some respects, I guess, a startup.
0: Okay. And uh, some lofty, ambitious goals. How did they go in terms of achieving those? Well,
1: you know, I work with some of the preeminent medical um, professionals, both in the UK and mm-hmm. across the UN, so it was a huge experience uh, and I learned a great deal. Mm-hmm. Of course, my role was in the business side, but uh, in terms of putting that strategy together and uh, exploiting the network, and we used what is probably these days, more about the way in which you get things done, not staff specifically, but a partnership approach to establishing community-based drug action teams, 500 of them across mm-hmm. the country that would facilitate that. Uh, it was a great experience, and uh, the National Treatment Agency uh, was well on its way when I left in 2005, and five six to achieving its goals and it did uh, early, probably three or four years early, it was okay. anticipated to be a ten year strategy mm-hmm. and it has and, and as was also anticipated, those services were then mainstreamed into uh, the NHS in the UK thereafter. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so what was it then that uh, uh, inspired you to return to Australia?
1: Uh, the 2005 bombs in the mm-hmm. underground and on the buses, Yeah. we had some staff engaged in that Okay. Uh, it was a terrible time, but it wasn't so much the bombs, but the recognition that uh, as an Australian in the UK, you are about 25 to 30 hours from home. Sure. Should anything occur. I'd been in the UK uh, over four years. I had nine months to go for some uh, residency under a okay. sponsorship arrangement, and I started to think myself, if I didn't come home soon, I wasn't coming home. Right. And was I... Uh, or was I reconciled on what that meant in terms of keeping touch with mm-hmm. family mm-hmm. Uh, when you recognise that you have special events here, whether they be uh, uh, weddings or funerals and that you can't be part of them? Sure. You really have to take stock of that.
0: Okay, so uh, it was completely driven by your sort of uh, desire to be closer to family?
1: A desire to be closer to be family and to, and to really uh, ask myself was I making a commitment to to the UK because mm-hmm. I was having a great time and uh, probably the first of those big questions in life, where where do I want to choose to be?
0: Uh-huh. Okay, so uh, back to uh, uh, Brisbane and off to the South Bank Institute of Technology.
1: Yeah, so I, I had, um, I, you know, over the period of time that I'd worked in England, uh, ended up in a role that was... a Executive level board role, Mm -hmm. uh, director of corporate services at the National Training, uh, National Treatment Agency, uh, performing company secretary roles to a board chair uh, and having interaction with the highest levels of government uh, and um, the political arm in the UK. So I wanted to come back to Australia into, uh, uh, I guess, my first senior role
3: Mm -hmm.
1: where I'd entered the organisation, not. not made my way through it okay yeah uh and so i looked for a variety of roles that might uh, meet those needs before i left england mm-hmm. and i applied for two particular roles at that time there was change a i guess the beginning of the change process for the vet sector here in some respects uh and i uh, was lucky enough to secure the role at uh south bank institute of technology okay as their director of corporate services right
0: and you were there for a few years for nearly five years right and if you think about that sort of that period in your career you you stepped into your first uh senior executive role without having been internally promoted um you know what was the mandate when you came into that business
1: so there was two major things uh the first was that uh south bank was the site of this state's first uh public private partnership for the redevelopment of the south bank campus okay you see it there today it's uh world-class facilities uh uh, some of the best in the world i've mm-hmm. had the chance to travel the world and and see many and sure. we've got some of the best uh, and so it was about the build and construct we self-manage that project there mm-hmm. and so that was exciting and also the way in which uh in accounting nerd terms that was going to be a uh, new accounting policy for how those things are treated in terms okay. of your financials the other thing was the need to start to ready the organisation for competition that was Mm -hmm. clear Mm -hmm. and the review of the right governance arrangements needed in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And obviously I'd worked in the UK in uh, the way in which governments look at arms length bodies Mm -hmm. and the governance debate was active here in the tape sector around how does government hold a body that it owns and give it the best chance of success Mm -hmm. in increasingly competitive marketplaces Mm -hmm. and so they were the two mandates Uh, the first was to complete the PPP successfully and to uh, create the capacity in that organization from both a P&L and operational sense to Mm -hmm. be able to meet the costs of it but also uh, to establish the body as a separate legal entity from Mm -hmm. government and to Uh, guide it to the right governance. Mm -hmm.
0: And in relation specifically to competition were there trends happening in the UK that you'd witnessed that you could uh, see were going to emerge uh, in Australia lagging somewhat behind or were they very similar or or what? Uh,
1: At that time the UK were were not introducing uh, private uh, market-led approaches that came thereafter. Where the relevant experience was is what were the governance arrangements and the appropriate governance arrangements more in a company directorship structure, Mm -hmm. uh, the way in which decisions are made in an entity to best effect Mm -hmm. uh, rather than uh, what the marketplace might look like in education. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that both the UK and the US lags behind, some might say in front of the debate about whether education is a is a, a sector that should be marketised.
0: Okay, so what's the uh, uh, you, you know, behind versus in front? You know, what are the two opposing viewpoints about that then?
1: Well, I guess governments are formed to uh, create a variety of platforms to uh, create a cohesive society and I guess the service provision that government is usually engaged in is those where uh, there's either market failure, they mm-hmm. won't be provided without government intervening, or in fact there is some other reason why government should be engaged whether it's be quality or regulation
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, or say equity of access the need for uh, an agreement at a community level that we should all have X and in this instance uh, I think everybody would agree that all should have access to education mm-hmm. uh, it's well known that uh, the standard of education has a direct link to the standard of living sure. and prosperity of economies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, therefore, the debate ranges from uh, what is the role that government should play in education, mm-hmm. traditionally monopoly delivery, mm-hmm. uh, and like a range of other services over time, uh, should that remain that way into the future? Is it sustainable in terms of affordability or is it something that can be delivered uh, using private sector experience that mm-hmm. often is argued is of uh, more flexible more agile and responsive to the market forces that can be put in play
0: hmm okay I suppose my question is uh, why would some people have a view that the UK and the US are lagging and other people perhaps have a view that they're in front in well, front
1: those who would argue uh, I guess <laughs> in the way I would paint it really clearly, the UK uh, still to some extent takes a socialist view. Okay. Socialist view being uh, provision of services to all mm-hmm. through government intervention. Mm-hmm. Uh, the US, perhaps more capitalist mm-hmm. uh, in its in its history, you would think more commercialised, uh, I guess just by gut feel. Mm-hmm. The reality is is that neither of them are entertaining for marketisation of education. Mm-hmm. So the question is, are we out in front? Right. Or are we making decisions that other economies have considered and determined not to be the right path of action?
0: Aha, uh-huh. okay, all right. Well, I suppose uh, that must be a, an ongoing, you know, pretty uh, hot topic of debate.
1: I would say it's the underpinning debate that uh, sits underneath the media all at the moment, questioning... Mm. Uh, the state of particularly the vocational education sector, but also the deregulation of the higher education sector Mm -hmm. uh, and the impact of private versus public schools in the schooling sector.
0: Okay. So you are at South Bank for about six years?
1: Yeah, thereabouts.
0: Okay. And uh, what happened from there? Uh, In
1: 2011, uh, early 2011, I guess 2010, uh, we'd made South Bank its own statutory body. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was performing well in terms of its viability uh, and uh, the project had finished in 2008 and we were using those facilities. Uh, of course, we worked across TAFE Queensland at that time as a network of providers mm-hmm. recognising uh, ownership and there was a number of reviews underway identifying systemic, I- systemic issues that had to be addressed across the TAFE Queensland network.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The experience that I would had at Southbank meant that uh, Obviously, I had an understanding from the operational performance and financial perspective of what the key issues were for TAFE institutes, Uh, and I guess I'd been in a place long enough to be looking for the next big challenge. Uh, And so I joined the department to lead the implementation of uh, the Queensland Post-Secondary Education and Training Review, which really was uh, to look at the way in which institutes were performing and what the future uh, governance arrangements and or operating model would be for them to make them sustainable. Mm -hmm. So I moved into the department. Uh, Shortly thereafter, uh, I applied for and became the Assistant Director General Mm -hmm. of uh, Training and Tertiary Education Alignment, or something to that effect was the title at the time. Uh, 2012 saw a change of government. Mm -hmm. uh, And thereafter, I became the Deputy Director General of Training Employment responsible for both policy mm-hmm. in training and employment and the operation of TAFE institutes. Mm-hmm. While uh, the big policy uh, document that was to come was written.
0: Mm-hmm. What did you uh, notice in terms of the way that you conducted yourself professionally uh, and from a you know a, a cultural perspective? You've moved from uh, uh, you know family owned business as a kid. You've moved into council. You've moved into an NGO or uh, uh, you know, you've had this really interesting career that's kind of stepped in and out of government. How has that affected the way that you've had to you know, imagine your own role and conduct yourself professionally?
1: I guess, you know, my approach is to very much watch an environment and consider the best way to insert yourself in it. Mm -hmm. And over that period of time, I've gone from being what I in my head is a kid to, uh, I'd still like to say a young adult. Mm -hmm. But uh, I I guess my observation is to understand the environment you're operating in. Mm -hmm. Understand uh, what you're trying to achieve in that environment and then really consider and be aware of the impact or the uh, protocol or the custom and practice Mm -hmm. that you see others being successful Mm -hmm. with and then either consciously challenge it uh, or uh, consider how you might best engage with it or work within it in order to achieve your goals. Mm -hmm. The other thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is to always ask, I think, in organisations of different sizes, the objective often gets lost mm-hmm. in the day-to-day uh, cacophony of different people's interactions. If you can bring the discussion back to what is the objective at any given point in time that often gets lost, sometimes gives clarity mm-hmm. to uh, how what seemed like differing uh, requirements, expectations or wants of individuals can come together and to be more mutually beneficial Mm -hmm. and I don't think that changes whether you're in small business, in government, in large business. I guess the nuances of that are significantly different. Mm
0: -hmm. People who are in private business or in, in sort of a corporate environment would have a certain view of, you know, how people need to conduct themselves within government and, uh, and I imagine, you know, vice versa, but it sounds like from what you're saying, the fundamentals are still very much the same, um, but no doubt there are some glaringly obvious uh, uh, differences. Um, what would you say are some of those things?
1: You know, I probably don't fall down on the uh, fall down on the side of there's lots of differences. I would say there's lots of similarities. Okay. The complexity of the environment actually sets the tone. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you take that in a private setting, mm-hmm. you've got if you're working in a private organisation, the objectives probably often clearer mm-hmm. and not simpler in a, a pejorative way, but simpler because it might be the delivery of a service, the selling of a particular mm-hmm. product uh, in a market that's, that's uh, you know, intangible in a certain extent, mm-hmm. but understood and...
0: Uh, there's clear quantifiable, there's measures, clear of quantifiable measures of success. And there's clear quantifiable
1: measures of success. In a government sense, you have a much greater level of complexity of mm-hmm. what defines success. Mm-hmm. Success is not about uh, sales numbers or... Uh, profit or yield. Success is about influence, community happiness, uh, different uh, outcomes, Mm -hmm. uh, and they are much more complex in Mm -hmm. my experience. Uh, Often you hear people groan and say the government works slowly, it's bureaucratic. Uh, and it's difficult to engage with and I think in many respects those things are true Mm -hmm. I guess I've had the opportunity to understand why Mm. and to try and participate in making that better and Mm. every day when you try to make that uh, what might be perceived to be better through faster Mm. you recognise that sometimes that's the right thing and sometimes it's not Mm. but if you compare large organisations in the corporate sense they are often just as complex in terms of uh, their operation and suffer the same challenges mm-hmm. uh, that are that are confronted by uh, government mm-hmm. organisations. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's about what's what's the objective? What are you trying to achieve, and how do you best achieve that? Mm-hmm. And complexity determines mm-hmm. uh, whether that's simple or or. or Really, quite difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. You made another comment uh, where you said, uh, "You know, as a, a young manager or a younger professional, I mean, certainly, you're somebody that has seen tremendous success professionally at a, you know, a relatively young age um, in comparison with your peers. What do you think are some of the uh, the attributes that you've got that have enabled that uh, uh, sort of uh, acceleration of career?" Uh,
1: I guess the. You know my approach has been to understand the job that you're doing do it to the best of your ability Mm -hmm. be open to understanding how your role interacts with others uh and be and be willing to go above and beyond say yes to everything that you might have the opportunity to do i i don't know that i planned it and well i know i didn't plan it in that Mm -hmm. way uh some of it is most certainly luck okay being in the right uh, in the right place at the right time but then being open to opportunities Mm. uh, being willing to roll up your sleeves have a go at anything be versatile uh, and responsive to uh, what an organization or a particular situation is looking for Mm -hmm. Uh, and over time gain the confidence to put yourself forward yeah uh to ask the question uh and to be present in that space, think about things that may or may not benefit mm-hmm. you, uh, and make a contribution.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, you know, if uh, we distilled all that down into a page of tips and tricks for the aspiring young professional, I mean, what you've said, I mean, it just makes good, common, practical sense. And yet most people would have you know a level of comprehension that that's what's required to be successful, but very few people you know apply it obvi- obviously as well as you have. Um, do you think that uh, there are particular ways that you've uh, uh, measured your own performance or you've you've had that level of self-analysis to make sure that you are ticking those boxes?
1: Yeah, certainly. Uh, and I guess it's probably uh, n- not all been uh, a yellow brick road of progression. Uh, the, uh, frustration and the setbacks all exist for all of us mm-hmm. in different ways in different times mm-hmm. uh, frustrations or otherwise I guess for me my advice would be think about what you can contribute to your work environment that adds value mm-hmm. think less about what you can get from your work environment mm-hmm. that you think you you are owed uh, I think as I get older the, the recognition that employment is a meeting of Minds and a contract between two parties where you're going to provide service as an employee for that is required by an employer, mm-hmm. and that that's a discussion and a contract that's ongoing and requires mm-hmm. management. We mm-hmm. often don't think of it that mm-hmm. way, sure. Um, helps you to focus on that, mm-hmm. but self awareness uh, of the role that you play and what ability you can have to influence the outcomes of any situation Mm -hmm. and recognising sometimes where perhaps you haven't been as effective as you could be, provided you're addressing that, you should continue to make mistakes, continue to learn and then continue to try and uh, shoot for a better outcome or become a better person mm-hmm. or just continue to evolve as an individual.
0: Sure. You mentioned uh, earlier that you had some early mentors uh, who encouraged you to go overseas and you know uh, uh, broaden your um, uh, horizons etc. Has there been uh, particular mentors throughout your career that you've leaned on? Have those mentors changed over time or if, uh, have there been particular people that have been very much a part of your career for? you know, the whole uh, period?
1: I wouldn't say there are any mentors that underpin the whole mm-hmm. uh, the whole period. So what you need at different times, you'll rec- start to recognise as things change, uh, is different. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when people used to first start thinking, saying, do you have a mentor? Uh, it's not, a, it's not a, a word that I say, yeah, I have a mentor. Mm-hmm. What you recognise with reflection is that, uh, and certainly my approach is, There's a need to engage with individuals who have had experience or have had uh, greater levels of broad coverage who you you can seek advice from or, in fact, just engaging with. Mm -hmm. You learn over time a variety of things. Uh, You know, the age-old issue, and I think about when you're trying to parent uh, kids if they could learn from what you tell them rather than experiencing <laughs> it, we'd all progress a lot sure. faster. If you apply that in this space, right. you can learn from people's experiences and really take them in. Yeah, won't provide you with the answers, mm-hmm. but will provide you with some uh, ability to say, well, this is what happened in this circumstance or this circumstance. And mm-hmm. so the variety that you need in, ter- mm-hmm. in terms of mentorship I think actually helps... Get a more rounded view of mm-hmm. different scenarios and then uh you know so so for me uh, i'm being mentored by my staff by uh your family mm-hmm. but in a professional sense by people who you get to spend time with perhaps who you uh admire things that they've achieved and you ask them how mm-hmm. they came about mm-hmm. and in doing so uh, you take something away from that that you can use then that is uh, mentorship. Sure.
0: So coming back to your career, so you're a deputy DG, yep. uh, and then in uh, mid 2013, you move into TAFE Queensland. So what uh, uh, facilitated that?
1: So the the policy development saw uh, a need to separate uh, the purchasing arm of training from a government perspective with the operations
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, of TAFE Queensland. Uh, and TAFE Queensland was established as a statutory body, uh, a commercial body, its objective to compete in market uh, and to try to stimulate greater participation in vocational education and training. So when I thought about what my future looked like, Mm -hmm. uh, certainly the things that were important to me is the commercial side. Uh, I like the numbers clearly coming from an accounting background Uh, and I also like the interaction with students, uh, and the fact that we change people's lives every day mm-hmm. uh, and the business sense of that. Uh, the challenge that comes with that as well appeals to me. So uh, what I guess I probably did also know is that long-term, uh, I didn't see myself working uh, in senior government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I took the path of becoming the first CEO of TAFE Queensland. Mm-hmm. I was appointed by the minister at the time.
0: And uh, have seen that... Uh over a short period of three years undergo uh, massive transformation
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, and when you look now towards the future you know what do you uh, uh, get excited about in terms of uh, future transformation for not only TAFE Queensland but the uh, the education sector in general?
1: Well, I guess we're at a turning point in the vocational education and training sector the debate that we referenced before is live and active mm-hmm. and there's a variety of consequences coming uh, from uh, the operation of the market that I'm sure that both governments and the sector itself will start to address. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the thing that most makes me excited is is I guess the potential that sits in uh, the delivery of skills to individuals to really make a change in the economy. And I kind of mentioned that before.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We've got to a point where uh, certainly, and I and, and I was you know Generation X, my my parents, baby boomers wanted me to go to university, first in family, to some extent, university. Mm-hmm. We've got to a point where, in reflection, uh, we are starting to tell young kids that if they're not going to university, they're not successful. And mm-hmm. the reality is is that the economy can only accommodate, really, 20 to 30% of individuals with sure. uh, higher education qualifications mm-hmm. in terms of job outcomes. And whilst I'll acknowledge that that will change in terms of what base level qualifications are required and we can talk about the impact of technology, the reality is that 60% of the workforce are engaged in uh, vocationally oriented roles Mm -hmm. where technical skills are key to their success and that the greatest productivity that leads to better lifestyle from us comes from innovation in that space Mm -hmm. and TAFE Queensland is fairly and squarely operating and able to contribute to 60% of the economy and the jobs in Mm -hmm. terms of training but we've got a community discussion that talks about vocational or technical training sometimes in a pejorative sense uh, and the debate whereby we consciously recognise that uh, the most successful people in the economy in many respects today are uh, tradespeople, Absolutely. electricians, plumbers, uh, and that they are uh, and should be valued careers for individuals too. Mm-hmm. And if I think about the span of qualifications that we deliver, uh, uh, dental prosthesists, dental assistants, mm. oral hygienists mm. to enrolled nurses, increasingly registered nurses, and the blurring of the lines between vocational education and training and practical higher education, uh, Mm -hmm. higher education. Uh, For instance, TAFE Queensland delivers 22 degrees and three uh, postgraduate degrees Mm. in vocationally or practically oriented roles. Mm -hmm. We can make a great contribution to improving, not just the lives, but the economy and the prosperity uh, of Queenslanders in the first instance, but uh, the broader student cohort that we service. Mm. And that's really exciting. For me, getting the debate at a government sense and a market sense down to how that is measured in terms of quality and contribution Mm -hmm. rather than, I guess, the uh, commercial competitive price, uh, uh, competitive approach that's happening right now in the early establishment of the market
0: uh, is the thing I look forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah I, I, I couldn't agree more and in fact uh, doing a lot of reading and uh, around technology and how that's going to affect particularly the professional space um, uh, they're talking now about how uh, supercomputers like Watson are able to access uh, legal precedents uh, and be able to make decisions about the success or potential success of a legal matter with far greater accuracy and speed and, you know, the latest thing I read was that 90% of lawyers will not be working in the law, you know, within the next 10 years. Uh, apps like uh, on your phone where you can blow into a device and it can do a retina scan and can, you know, test you for a whole variety of uh, uh, illnesses will mean that the requirement to go into the GP. Uh, whereas they still need people to fix toilets and build walls and and uh, do a lot of those... Uh, uh, more practical uh, professions. Uh, absolutely, I think it's, um, and I suppose because you're in the sector, you're seeing that and yet at the same time, you're seeing the sophistication of technology and the delivery of education is having an impact on how you will be delivering, you know, those practical uh, qualifications in the future. So it must be really fascinating to just uh, be part of that whole um, space and watch what's uh, coming down the uh, coming down the, Uh, which is not that far in the future.
1: Absolutely, and it totally is. And there's two Mm -hmm. things that come to mind when you talk. You know, one thing is uh, a recent report that said uh, uh, 40% of the jobs that exist today won't exist in 10 years' time. Mm -hmm. I think that that's true. Uh, And that was a report produced by CSIRO. You know, that's a little bit of scaremongering when people talk about that. But Mm -hmm. we're now working with CSIRO to say... But what will they look like? Sure. And in July we'll launch a report co-branded TAFE Queensland and Sara that says, uh, and this is what we expect that to look mm-hmm. like. Uh, but if I give you an example of that, you know, we recently brought together the locksmithing industry. Now, okay. you think locksmithing, that's key cutting Sure. Uh, and a variety of things. I get a vision of the old keys in my grandma's <laughs> house, the big long yeah, ones yeah. here. Uh, And you think about the changes that have happened in terms of technological impact on Mm -hmm. that. Now, my guys, the teachers who are teaching locksmithing today, absolutely call themselves locksmiths. But in in essence, the bulk of their work is electric uh, alarm systems, Mm -hmm. uh, high-tech alarm systems, Mm -hmm. computer-enabled, and the skills that they need are different. Sure. But that vocation is still at its core the same creating safety and protection to Mm -hmm. property or your home Mm -hmm. uh, is the trade of locksmiths. Mm -hmm. And whilst the way in which they do that has changed, locksmithing is alive and well Mm -hmm. and requires a workforce to support it with technical skills and set of knowledge and uh, applied research to make sure that that continues to progress. And for me, that's a really good example to say, you know r2d2 is not going to be running my life in the future there'll still be a need for another, all of these professions that actually yeah. create uh those things that help us feel
0: know mm-hmm.
1: safe protected healthy and well
0: sure the uh the main motivation for this podcast is for people who are listening in, who are aspiring C-suite executives and non-executive directors to listen to the stories of those who have walked the path before them and hopefully get some wisdom to help them to accelerate their careers. You've talked a lot about your sort of personal orientation in relation to uh, business and so on, but is there anything that you would like to add at this stage in terms of perhaps some advice offered to you during your career, which has been particularly uh, useful in, uh, in helping you?
1: No, I guess my realisation is is that I, I never saw a path, I guess I had a set of aspirations mm-hmm. but the most important advice would be be open to opportunity, assess them and, and take paths that uh, work for you as an individual. It doesn't matter whether it's upwards, sidewards, You might think sometimes it's backwards. It's whether you are growing as an individual and what you have to offer. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that in the main, you'll be assessed on what you have to offer, uh, and uh, your continued putting forward of your best foot
0: mm-hmm.
1: will, in the main, see success.
0: Mm-hmm. Working in the education sector, you did your bachelor of business, you know, some time ago. Do you have a desire to go and do any further formal professional qualifications yourself?
1: Uh, You know, like most people, I I, uh, engaged in a master's program that uh, I didn't continue because I moved to the UK. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that you learn, you know, if you take the 70-20-10 rule, 70% of what you learn is in situ Mm -hmm. on the job, Uh, 20% professional development in another sense. You know, I've been and done the AICD course uh, and the diploma program. I get the great opportunity to engage and now speak at national conferences where Mm -hmm. you're learning about your sector and your craft and new technology and the like. And then the last 10%, I guess, is academic endeavour. Participating in networks where it's relevant information and in qualifications, if that's relevant to you, I absolutely commend. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a diploma in market research, for instance, associated with uh, my degree in the first instance mm-hmm. but was a great insight and has helped me uh, uh, fantastically um, you know uh, participating in leadership programs and other things uh, are all things that you should grab hold of whether they're formal qualifications or not I guess the argument is does a formal qualification help you to get from A to B or to achieve your goal sure. or is it something that you want uh, for your for yourself or a yep. variety of other reasons yeah uh, there's a place for all of it but i mm-hmm. think it's a individual path mm-hmm. based on uh who you are and what you mm-hmm. need to achieve mm-hmm. for me i'd love to sometimes spend time in a university uh contemplating life and a doctor of philosophy <laughs> uh, but i suspect that'll be when i have the time and uh the inclination to do so.
0: Fair enough. Now just to close out this conversation, because I know that you've got a busy day ahead, uh, You know, we've talked a lot about work and so on, but uh, what about when you're not working, what are the kinds of things that you enjoy doing to keep your uh, batteries charged and, and stay fresh?
1: Well, if you work too hard, you very quickly realise that work-life balance is really important. Uh, of course, I spend as much time as possible with friends. Mm-hmm. I am an avid concert goer, okay. uh, and and I like to get a decent amount of balanced culture, whether mm-hmm. that be uh, attending sometimes sporting events, uh, the theater, film uh, or, or or a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try or or I am absolutely committed to uh, playing tennis once or twice a week, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously, When I was a kid, I played a lot of tennis, and I guess I have a better appreciation of uh, just how lucky I am to do that these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I try to get out and get fresh air as as often as Mm
0: -hmm. possible. And a fellow guitarist.
1: Oh, yes. So uh, I have a a slew of guitars and the odd (laughs) musical instrument at home uh, that enables you to keep in contact with the creative side. And the creative Mm -hmm. side, I think someone said to me recently... uh, of all the individuals in Silicon Valley the vast majority of them are musicians or creatives and right it goes to show you that uh, balancing both sides of your brain is important to, sure to success
0: hmm and this is an audio recording uh, but if it was video you'd see that Jody has a penchant for a, a very bright and uh, 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 colorful shirt and uh, today you haven't failed <laughs> I've enjoyed your shirts a lot
1: Thanks, Richard. You've got to add colour.
0: You definitely do. Well, look, on that note, I really appreciate your time. Thanks very much and have a fantastic afternoon.
1: Thanks, Richard. You too. Uh,
0: okay. Well, thanks for joining me today on the Arate podcast. I trust you enjoyed that conversation with Jodie. I'm looking forward to having you along for future episodes, but in the meantime, have a fantastic week.